0: Welcome to My Life, this is Applied, episode 419. This will be a special Rosh Hashanah edition, being that this is the last program of the year, Tavshim Pei Beis 5782. This program is in merit of Baruch bin ben Menuch and Miriam Baschayasar Altaz, Yukusil ben Lei rochel and rochel Basli Bafarkash. And mazel Tov, a special Mazel Tov to Lani and Mendel Megalnik upon their marriage, 19th of El, as well as a happy birthday to Pini on that same day. Dedicated by Pinchas Todis ben Miriam and Sarabas Rochel Altois. So here we are in the last week of the month of Elul, the last week of the year, where we are concluding and been working on the introspection, the soul-searching of everything that happened in the past year and preparing for the new year. As the Altar Rebbe says, Mm -hmm. that every year in Rosh Hashanah, a new unprecedented energy enters into the cosmos, into our lives, into existence, giving us the opportunity to renew our lives literally. We have to make the keli the container for that. That's through our work. Of the prayers and the blowing of shofar, the sounding of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, and of course, the more we prepare before that, the more the container is is is, is, the, is the healthier and the more expansive and wider is the container, and it can draw down more of that special energy. So we will talk about Rosh Hashanah, some other questions, some timely ones. But let me begin since last night with slichas, the first night of slichas of this year. So we'll get a few questions about slichas and then go into Rosh Hashanah and related topics. What is the purpose of saying slichas and why is it done so late at night, in the middle of the night, when we should be home sleeping? Do we say slichas in the middle of the night to be sneaky and get the prayers in while the accusatory angels are still sleeping and can't and interfere? Okay. So the very word slichas means forgiveness. To forgive slicha. Slichais is the plural for forgiveness. Forgiveness in, uh, in Judaism is a very fundamental concept. And it's also, if you think about it, for the human race. It means that no matter what happened in life, you can always ask for forgiveness and you can always gain forgiveness. In the case of the general case of, of this month of El leading to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, we know the story. After Moses received the Torah at Sinai, 39 days later the Jews built a gold calf. They completely betrayed God. It was a serious crime, equivalent of total infidelity. And yet Moses, after breaking the tablets, went back on the mountain and prayed for their forgiveness. And that's in essence, what this entire period of time is about. The 80 days from Yud Zion, Tammuz, Shavasa Tammuz. When Moshe broke the tablets, it's 40 days till Rishchei D'Shel. Moshe prayed, but was not successful. Then another 40 days from Rishchei D'Shel till Yom Kippur, and that's where he gained forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yem Kippurim, Day of Atonement. So forgiveness is a fundamental concept in the idea that we live in an imperfect world. We are people who are imperfect, and we will make our mistakes, but we can always regain trust, and rebuild our love and our relationships by asking for forgiveness. So it makes total sense as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah, we start saying slichas. Now why do we do so at night? And why do we do it at midnight or after midnight, or 1 a.m., depending on the, the time, what the zone you're in, is as we say in the slichas, meitzayi menucha, mitzoyi menucha. We want it to be as close to Shabbos as possible because we want the energy of Shabbos, the menucha, the peace, the inner serenity of Shabbos to spill over. Because the slichas is not just as many people think, a negative thing, oh, I did all these bad things, and let me ask for forgiveness. It's actually a positive thing. It's coming from a sense of accountability and a sense of connection, that when you love someone, you're accountable, you want to say, I'm sorry. You want to clean up your act. You want to do whatever is possible to regain trust and rebuild the relationship. So we want to have the power of Shabbos, Mitzraya, However, as Chazal tells us, as our sages tell us, and especially explained in Kabbalah, night is a time of gvurah, a time of judgment. But the night itself breaks into two parts. Till midnight is gvurah, is more severe judgments. From midnight on begins become more lenient judgments. So when do we do it? As close as possible to Shabbos. But in the second half of the night, when it begins to soften up. Night has many qualities, has many challenges. Slichus is right there in, after midnight. We learned the Gemara also, that, that Dover HaMelech would get up after midnight, and that's when he would sing his praises. We don't say Tehillim before midnight for the same reason. So, so but, now, the, Slichus, the other days of the week will be early in the morning, because that's when a shel chesed, when at dawn a certain chesed breaks. But in the beginning, the first lichus you want to do as close as possible to Shabbos, and middle of the night, where there is some gvurah, but it's still gvurah that we can so-called handle. That's also conducive for us to be able to help us, that, that introspection that's necessary of, I don't want to use the word judging ourselves, but, in, but soul-searching and that accountability that allows us to rebuild our connection. And that's the short of it. The fact that we also stay up late or... Some people get up at that time. Also, it indicates a special effort. We don't just say the middle of the day or in the morning when we get up anyway, even if it's a little earlier. The middle of the night, it shows also on the element of piercing the darkness of the night with what the night represents. All the darkness in our lives. And what are we saying then? You, you are God. You're the gracious one. The charitable, the kind one. And invoking all the... Elements of God's compassion, the 13 attributes of divine mercy and compassion that we invoke, starting with Slichus and then continuing through the Yom Nerayim, especially at Yom Kippur. Okay, so that's a preparation. And above all, it's in addition to the actual prayers of Slichus, it's the feeling. It's recognizing, not just lip service, but understanding that we're connecting and as such, this prepares us the coming days now, till the countdown, till Rosh Hashanah, where we say slichas now every morning. As I said, early in the morning, before the prayers, and leading all the way up to Ere Rosh Hashanah, which will be next Sunday. So, with that, let's go straight into Chassidus, applied to Rosh Hashanah, talk about Rosh Hashanah. So here's a whole series of different questions that came in. And I'll begin with, has anyone made a nice acronym yet for the new year 5783, Tavshin Pei Gimel? Well, the Rebbe, in the year Tavshin Mem Beiz, I believe was the first time the Rebbe said an acronym, Tehishnaz B'S Mashiach. Then the next year was Tavshin Mem Gimel, Tehishnaz Gulas Mashiach, Tehishnaz Divrei Mashiach, was in Tavshin Mem Dalek. And um, and then the Rebbe went on, Tavshin Mem Hei, Tavshin Mem Shuvav. And so on. <coughs> um, obviously, when the Rebbe says an acronym, it's, it's standing on solid ground. But Chassidim people, I assume, want to continue the custom. So I'm sure there'll be those that speculate. I mean, the closest thing we know, the Rebbe did say in Tovshin Nun Aleph, but say, hey, Nasa Renan the ran in the floors. then in the floys, back oil in Tov Nun since Neflois and the word plois have a certain similarity, we don't know what would have been Tovshin gimel, but you could say Plois gudelis, great wonders. And we know from the Pasik that I will show you wonders like it was during the time of the days of Mitzrayim. So perhaps ploys or Pelogodl or Ploy's gudelis, which of course includes the greatest, wondrous thing of all, which will be the Gula Mitzvah Vashlema. But this is a speculation, and I'm not going to give it any type of uh, definitiveness, except like the Rebbe Rashab said, he didn't like when people gave interpretations in Tanya. But if it has a year he didn't mind. So if it has a in our efforts to bring the Pelois Gdelis and the brachas of God, that God should send us wonders, not just blessings, but blessings in a wonderful way, in a Pelo way. way. this explains Pela is the level of keser, nifla, that it's something wondrous, beyond the rational, And Pell is the same letters as aleph, because aleph refers to chachma, the structure of existence. And the structure of existence, we want that to elevate that and integrate that with the wonders that are beyond the transcendent revelations. So that's just one thought, and I'd love to hear your feedback. Here's a good opportunity. Please go to uh, chassidahsupply.com. There you can submit any question, any comment, any suggestion, completely anonymous, so it's a good time to mention that, where you can also find all the archives of previous programs as well as many other very valuable resources around how to apply chsiddhis to our personal, emotional, psychological, and spiritual lives. What is the significance of eating certain foods at certain times? If someone dips an apple in honey on Rosh Hashanah, will they automatically have a sweet year? If someone eats a pomegranate, Will they have more children than King Rehoboam? Is there any signs behind this, or are these acts merely symbolic? <coughs> well, <coughs> the symbolism is obvious. Sweet apple, honey, there's a certain sweetness. But there's something much deeper than that. We know, especially when you know this, that there's the concept of nishtal shalomahen. mehen. Altar uses that term in Tanya chapter 3 where he speaks about how the faculties of a human being, the ten faculties, evolved nishtal shulu, from the ten spheres above. Everything in this material world is a personification, an embodiment of spiritual energy. So just like we say that water is made of H2O, so the element of water, H, uh, water rather, is made of the elements of hydrogen and oxygen, which in turn are made of different molecules, which in turn are comp- comprised of different atoms and subatomic particles. So if you go deeper, there's spiritual energies that, that define water. Chesed, for instance, is the spiritual archetype from which water originates. Gvura is the spiritual archetype from which fire, Esh, originates. And that's why the properties of water and the properties of fire are very similar to the properties of Chesed and Gvura, respectively. Now, obviously, this is physical and that's spiritual. But the same is true when you say something is sweet, like honey or apple, the sweetness is because it evolves and originates in spiritual sweetness. So in addition to the symbolism, it's actually you are in some physical way manifesting sweetness. Now like everything in life, is it a guarantee? It's an effort to make a kali, a container for these blessings. So the sweetness will express itself one way or another. But it's not like a magic pill where you just press a button and that happens. It also comes down to things we do, our actions. We have to also make kalim for sweetness. So in Judaism, there is no magic pills. There are no buttons to press. You do what you have to do, and these blessings manifest. Sometimes in a more revealed way, sometimes less revealed way. Ultimately, God decides. And there are many different factors, mysterious factors. That we can't always determine why exactly the sweetness came in this moment and in that fashion or this formula. But that's how blessings manifest in this world. Okay, what benefit do we achieve by saying the Hebrew words of davening and the siddur if we don't know what they mean? So firstly, what stops us from figuring out what they mean? It's a thing called Peter Shamilis. It says, I've explained many times in my book, 60 Days, which is a companion that many people use for these days, 60 Days, A Spiritual Guide to the High Holidays. I have a whole section called uh, Beyond Lip Service, Prayer, How to Pray. Prayer is an art. It's an art, also science, and prayer is how to pray. Is besides saying the words, is also focusing on different words, specific words. Even if you don't understand at it all, it's always good to take uh, one prayer, two prayers, focus on the words, look at the English translation or whatever translation that works for you, internalize it, and speak from your heart. But at the same time, prayer does have power of its own. Obviously, it says, prayer without intention is like a body without a soul, but it is a body. Because like, He asked Hashem, that may the words that I cried out to you when I was in need and in distress, may these become the words in the lips of Jews throughout history, throughout time. Human beings will use these words to speak to you, and God granted him that request, which is why so many of the prayers are, part, are, are verses from Psalms, from Tehillim. What's the point? In other words, it's like musical notes. Think of it as musical notes that have a particular power to pierce the heavens. Now the truth is, you can speak to God in any language you like, in any way you like. God understands all languages, and above all, the language of the heart. al God wants our hearts. However, I won't call it a shortcut, but imagine you also know the musical notes to play. Shema Yisrael, the other tefillis, Meneser, or the tefillis in Yom Neroim, Malchiz, Echrein Esheferis, I'm just using just examples. These are words that are saturated, firstly, with divine verses that God himself gave us, these verses, and said, use these verses when you want to speak with me. And secondly, they were the verses used by David and thousands of years of our... Beautiful men and women and our leaders and our ancestors, these are the words they've used when they poured out their hearts. So when you're using them, you're actually invoking that strength. The more you can understand it, obviously, the more meaningful it is and the more internalized it can be. But at the same time, do not feel bad. It's very difficult to say to someone to read the whole maghzah and say they understand every word. Even scholars would take time. I mean, how long does it take to read a book like that, the Avdil? It takes hours and hours, and yet our prayers don't take all day, even though Yom Kippur, we're in shul all day. But there's a lot of prayers to say. So the focus is, as the Rebbe says, better to say one prayer with a lot of kavanah than just a lot of prayers without kavanas. Now, we also have a chazan, a shliach tzibur, who's meant to exactly do that. For those of us that don't fully understand or don't have all the kavanah, the shliach tzibur prepares, and he's meant to represent us, in addition to our own individual prayers. The bottom line is, take it personally. You're speaking to God, your partner, your creator, your father, our king. So there's a personal relationship here. And in a personal relationship, you can pour your heart out in any way you wish and speak from your heart the things that you need. We hear about, we read, in the first day of Rosh Hashanah, how Hannah poured out her heart for a child. And it says clearly, she's pouring out her heart to God. The high priest, King God Eli, did not fully understand that. But however you explain it, he thought she was just drunk. She was just uh, mumbling words, and she finds out no, this is before God. I'm pouring out my heart, my words, and which, which were fulfilled. Which is why we say Tefillah on in the Haftar of Rosh Hashanah, because that's what it's all about: speaking from your heart, the things you need, the things that. That that your family needs, the things that people around you, whatever that may be, in children, health, parnasa, livelihood, peace, shalom bayis. Of course, the prayers for geula. The prayers for everything that human beings and you need in your life, and the life of everyone around you. Okay. Is there something magical about those words that when they're just simply pronounced, even if the reader doesn't understand the words? that they open up channels, open channels of blessings? That was the second half of the question. And I forgot to read it. But the answer is clearly yes. But I wouldn't call it magical, I would call it divine. Divine words that have access. It's like when you heard the words from God himself, as he says them in the Torah, or he says them through the Neviim and through the his great sadikim and Sidkonyas throughout history, those have words have power, yes. Okay, next question. Do some people have more power to bless others? During the month of El, it's customary to bless each other. Absolutely. And now as we come to the end of El, for sure it just increases, and that's the, as we go into Rosh Hashanah. It made me think about the power of blessings and the value of the blessing based on who gave the blessing. We are taught that some people have an extra power to give blessings. For example, a tzaddik, a kayin, and a king can always give powerful blessings. A and kala the first week of their marriage. Some say a person on their birthday has the power to give brachas. Is there a definitive list of who has the power to give brachas that Rabbi Jacobson can discuss on his Sunday night podcast so we can know who to turn to in order to get as many valid powerful blessings as possible before Rosh Hashanah? Although I'm writing this note anonymously, just in case I make the list, I want to offer a bracha to call yourself for the new year of 5783. May Hashem bless and may it be Hashem's will that this year we'll see the full revelation of Mashiach. May everyone be blessed with an abundance of revealed and hidden blessings. And may we have the vessels to collect and contain these brachas and bring them into our physical reality. For an abundance for an, for an abundance of Parnosa, good health, healthy children, good shiduchim. May it be a, be a year of unbridled simcha, joy and good news for Kal Yisrael, collectively and for each Jewish person and righteous Gentile individually. May everyone have the inspiration and capacity to increase in acts of goodness and kindness. Amen, a loud amen, which I'm sure all of us appreciate. And I will second that blessing. I will conclude this program with my blessing. And we all bless each other and it should only be in a revealed way that we can appreciate. So in response to your question, everyone has the power to bless. Everyone. I mean, we even find that even people who are not Jewish will bless you. They will be blessed. Which means that everyone has the power to bless. That's how Shem gave us that power. It simply means that you can bless someone and send them good wishes. And bestow them good, good tidings and good... Um, that they should have blessings in every aspect of their life. Now, obviously, like it is with everything, everyone also can pray to God. But there are people who either worked hard on themselves or have additional strengths, which we ask them to also pray for us, to God, They pray for us, for God, because they either, as I said, have more experience or more on a higher spiritual level. You mentioned Birchaz Kayanim, for example. The kohenim were given by Hashem blessing to bless us. V'ani avarchem, the two interpretations, that God blesses them or god blesses us through their blessing regardless the point is that they have and the same thing you mentioned sadikim and the, okay, the melech and others so i don't know if i have a list and i don't know if the list is the way to go but wherever you can get a blessing by all means whether it's a birch chesedian from an individual that's just a, a lay, regular lay person is a great thing or if you get a blessing from a rebbe and get a blessing from a tzadik from of course, berachas Kenen we say on Rosh Hashanah, and we say it on the different holidays, and uh, and so on. We say it every Shemone Esrei. In short, not the Kohanim, but the the shliach tzibur, as far them, say it every day, even outside of Eretz Yisrael. And um, so we have different customs regarding berachas. So any bracha, wherever you can get a bracha, by all means, that would be my response. Is it advantageous to go to the top of a mountain to daven because it's closer to the heavens? Or do we say Hashem is everywhere, so it doesn't matter where you daven? The latter is correct. Hashem is everywhere. And therefore you can daven anywhere. Malay kol aritz Kvede, is everywhere. You can access him anywhere you are. Especially during these days. We say, it says, uh, karua se Dir Hashem se karua se that Hashem is more present, which means more revealed. We have more access. Now obviously there are places that are more conducive to davening. Namely, the amigdash a sanctuary, a shul is amigdash which is ma'at, a mini sanctuary similar to the Beis HaMigdash, the time of the Beis HaMikdosh. That's where the divine presence rested. Even though elakus and godliness is everywhere, but there are some places that there are less layers, there are less blocks, there are less concealments. Now, going up on a mountain, some people will go to the field or go in a more secluded place because less distractions. And it could be like you hear about the Arizal, the Baal that others that in the field. So that's already on a case-by-case basis, on an individual basis. There's no mitzvah to go on a, on a mountain anywhere, it says some people may you know that concept moshe went on the mountain when he received the Torah, but it doesn't say anywhere that the villa has to be in a mountain but the idea of going in a more secluded place that concept exists and if that's something that's possible for a person at certain times there's also also limits that you don't have just an open field it has to be in a respectful way that's why you have certain certain parameters and certain containing the area but that really you should ask your local rabbi and authority on exactly the details of where and where we do not dava. In that spirit, what are your thoughts about a Chabadne going to Uman? So Uman is the city where the I'm Amnachim the Breslev is where he is interred, there's his oil, and it became, in the last years, very popular destination of Shoshana. Tens of thousands of Jews go there, which is beautiful. People find inspiration and so on. For a Chabadnik, look, there's the story in Ayem Yem, where there was a, one of the tzaddikim of the time, the Al Rebbe, said to one of the Chabad chassidim, he said to him, why not you come? You're a from your Rebbe, the Al Rebbe. Now come and I'll teach you a new derech in Aveda Hashem. And he, he rejected the offer respectfully. When he, when he was pushed and the man said to him, why, the tzaddik said to him, "Why are you, are you not a chassid? Am I not a rebbe? He says, a rebbe you are, but not mine. A chassid I am, but not yours. So this, is a, this isn't just a matter of loyalty. It's a matter of a commitment and a dedication that you have a derech. It's like there's a nosi. We have one more There's a nosi for each tribe. That doesn't take away, but there's a certain element of a connection to your rebbe. This does not mean that another rebbe does not have Strengths, no one suggests otherwise. So I am not here to pass on what you should do as a chabatnik, someone should go to Uman and not go to Oman. But the Rebbe did write to a chosset who asked about going to the Alter Rebbe's oil. And uh, the Rebbe said, how many times have you gone to the Friedrich Rebbe's oil here that you're running to, to Europe to go to the Alter Rebbe's uh, oil? This is the Alter Rebbe. Now, you can interpret that in many different ways. You can also interpret that a matter of, are you going, is it more of a sensational thing? Is it more of a chetzedic thing, an external thing? When I say sensational, I don't necessarily mean in a negative way. I mean more superficial. is the animal of primius, to be with your Rebbe. And so everybody has to make that calculation. So I'm not going to go and say, this is not, even if I were to say to Chabadni, what are you doing in Uman? Go to seven seventy. Go to the oil. Go somewhere that you connect with as a chabadnik. That is not in any way to throw any aspersions of anyone that goes to a woman. Like I said earlier, where a person finds yerushaimei inspiration, everyone has their way of doing that, and and prefer, perfectly legitimate. There's no <laughs> people go to different places that that to touch them. So that's the way I would respond to this question. So I would suggest you speak to your mashpia. I speak to your heart and soul. I look into Sikhis and my modem and see where your connection lies. I think it's important to have that element. Sometimes having more than one rebbe really end up having not one rebbe because it's like—I don't say running from one to the other—is a connection. Is like this is your regiment. This is your. This is your. Um, this is your part of the army. You're been mobilized, and you're part of this department, so to speak. So there's something about Nader, Nader, pasht. everyone having their channel. And when you're in your channel, that's the place that you should be connected to most. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, My husband plans to go this week to a mysterious holy place in the Mount Tremper forest, wearing his white kittle and blowing a shofar and reciting a secret Kabbalistic incantation that once said will force Hashem to immediately send Mashiach. I told him he's not allowed to do this. Mashiach is supposed to come when Hashem decides it's the right time and we are not allowed to do things to influence and force it. He replied that we are allowed to influence and the proof is in many places, is the many places in davening where we pray for the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the resurrection of the dead. And even by the singing of the English song, we want Mashiach now. If I see that he's getting ready to do this, to go do this, I am considering... Sabotaging and breaking his car so he can't drive there. What can I say to him? To convince him that this is a bad idea and it's a big aver to try to influence Hashem to do something before he is ready to do it. Well, being that I don't know all the details and I was not there in the conversation, I'm not sure what your husband's intentions are, it's hard for me to fully comment. But I'll tell you what, what does come to mind. Is not the issue of doing whatever you can to bring Mashiach. We do that. We try that in every possible way. But of course, that, there's traditional ways to do it. We don't do things that are outside of the parameters and of the guidelines of Tayyidah Mitzvahs. A person wants to daven extra, wants to give more tzedakah, wants to learn more, wants to spend more time in Shura Shashanah, by all means. And using for the Kavanah Mashiach. The thing that, that, that I'm concerned about more is this going off and with these mysterious incantations and in this place, that disturbs me more. What I may say disturbs me, I don't know again what his intentions are. Is he going with a minion? Is he going with others? Is it, based, is it, with, is it been sanctioned and with Bayarov? So I would l- look at it much more, what Hashem wants us to do. By all means, he wants to put more kavon and bring Mashiach beautiful. So I'm not sure what's going on in his mind. As a wife, I would say to you, as his wife, I would say to you that you should do whatever you can in a loving way. If it becomes an argument and a fight, that's definitely not good for bringing Mashiach. first of all. And secondly, not good for your marriage. It's not good for a new year. So you have to find a pleasant way, a nice way to talk about it. And on the contrary, con- encourage him to do things that will bring Moshiach. Encourage him to say more tilum. Encourage him to say other prayers. And, and as I said, in zdoke and learning and other kind of acts that we know and so on, other mitzvahs that are conducive to, to speeding up and expediting the gu'ula. So I would do it in a positive way. But the things that, as again, if there are some things that are going on that seem to be a little questionable, I would wonder where his head is at and what's going on in his life. Does he have a mashpia? Does he have someone to speak to? Because it sounds a little like, almost like a maverick just doing something completely on his own but I may be wrong. Maybe there's more to it that I'm not aware of. That would be my comments on that uh, question. Okay. Robert Jacobson, you wrote a book called 60 Days. Why 60 days? There are all kinds of holy significance attached to 40. Why changes? There's always been the 40 days of tshuva. Can it be something else? Well, The sixty days was simply based on the fact that El and Tishrei, the two powerful months, are together sixty days. It wasn't meant to introduce a new uh, concept. It was meant to be a journal, to, to a journey, to travel day by day from the beginning of El all the way to the end of Tishrei. The truth is, that, correct the forty days, more is really as, as I write about in sixty days. That Moshe Rabbeinu went up on the mountain of Har Sinai to receive the Torah. Day, forty days later, he came down. He went up for another 40 days. Rosh Chodesh he came down a second time. And then he went for another 40 days, and Yom Kippur was the end of the 120-day period, which incidentally is twice 60. But that's not the point I want to make. So, in fact, I'm glad you're pointing it out, but at the same time, there is something to be said about the months of El and Tishrei, that was my intention. As a matter of fact, by popular demand, I'm being asked to actually create the 60 days for the months now of Cheshven and Kislev and then, and then after, at Teves and Shvat and so on. But that's more of a practical thing. It's two months, it's covering two months, 60 days, it's somewhat also a self-contained period. Now, in, if you want to go deeper, are there places where sixty the number 60 has significance? Yes, there is, but 60 days, not necessarily. But nevertheless, that's the general picture of that. Okay. Let us move now to some more related questions. So we know Rosh Hashanah is the sixth day of creation. The world was created on the 25th of El. That was B'reish's Baralekim. Six days later when Adam and Chava were created was Rosh Hashanah. So here, someone asks asked a question about Rosh El. Let me read that question. If the 25th of L is the day when the world was created, would that suggest that on the 25th of L there's a great creative energy available every year on this day? Should we use the power of this day to create new businesses, begin new projects, or generally do something creative? So the answer is, it's an interesting point, it is the day of creation and therefore there has some quality to it. Even the Rosh Hashanah Chassidus explains why then is Rosh Hashanah on the sixth day, not the first day, because that's the crown jewel. The purpose of creation is fulfilled by man, by the human being. But of course there's power to Chafael, because every year that's the day when God created the universe. So you could definitely say it's a day of a creative energy, something new. Even though the Echadosh er I mentioned before that says in the Geras HaKadosh is on Rosh Hashanah. Why? Because creation is the power of God to create. Rosh Hashanah is the time when we ratify that and we crown God as king and the relationship, the purpose of creation is fulfilled. That's why we say, Today is the beginning of your handiwork, your creation. Even though he created the world, God created the world six days earlier. Because the purpose of creation is to transform it, not just to create. But at the same time, Hafei absolutely has divine creative energy. Sometimes the Chassidus says that Hafei is koi, Ze Tilis Masach. Zeh is like Zois. Zeh is when you point with your finger, you see it. Koi is like something. So the energy that God invested in creation is the, the divine energy. We can speak about Mamala Kalaman, the energy that God applies Himself to create existence. Creation of the human being is coming from a deeper place. Seva kalaman and even deeper, because that's what Yippah Baap nishmas a unique creation of creating some, an entity in this world that is B'tzalem in the divine image, that has the power to fulfill and realize the purpose of creation. But at the same time, Hafeel definitely has energy. So the is the Alter Rebbe is talking about, is the true is the real new energy comes in when we, Tam Lichuni and we announce, and we declare, and we incarnate, and God accepts our request to have a relationship with us, which is the purpose of creation. But, You can definitely say that Chafayel is a Yem's Gula, in a time when we can start new things, even though Rosh Hashanah is the main, of course, not just the main, the the only Rosh Hashanah there is, but Chafayel does that, so I would say yes. Every day of the year, every day has a special energy. Chafayel, for sure. Following that, is this a day, is this a good day for couples having medical issues with fertility to achieve healthy pregnancies and have healthy children? Talking about Chafayel. But the truth is, it could ask the question in general. So let me ask another question. Another question came in about, since we're talking about the blessings for Bonnie, the greatest blessing of children. What can married couples who are unable to have children due to medical, due to medical infertility issues, what could they do differently during the month of Elul? When the king is in the field, in order to achieve Hashem's blessing for healthy children, and I would now add, not just El, but also as Rosh Hashanah is coming, and we know Rosh Hashanah, as I mentioned, the Tefillah of Chana, Naftida, blessing for a child. If Hashem the dasodah. What do we read the Torah reading? If Hashem remembered Soda and gave birth and gave her the child Yitzchak. So there's no question that Rosh Hashanah, especially Rosh Hashanah, but even the month of El, which prepares for it, I and mean, when the king is in the field, is definitely a gula for all brachas, but especially a bracha for children. So may Hashem, yusha, may Hashem bless every person who needs that blessing to open up the channels that husband and wife, married in a sacred union, should, be, should give birth to a child, a healthy child, and healthy children, and having nachas from these children, and bringing them up, that they in turn will build their homes and families and have children of their own. So that's a bracha that we have, especially in this time. The answer is absolutely. This is the time. This is the time of the year. There are other times of the year that's a yom gula like and Another time, but we're talking about this special time, Rosh Hashanah. So I would say to anyone who's in this situation, do whatever you can. The tefillas, invoke tefillas Chana, invoke tefillas uh, Sarah, the Ovis and the also, cried out for children. So, this is a perfect time for such a thing. And Hashem should bless you that your prayer should be fulfilled. That this year you should have a healthy child. And Mr. Hashem, in the coming years, healthy children. Yes. What can you do differently? Well, first of all, prayer, when you say from the heart, alone is different. You're adding kavana, you're adding intention. In addition, I would say the three pillars of everything is Teir Avedig mils Hasadim, so Tfil I mentioned, but adding in Zdokah, and adding in learning, and adding in Halchot Tevas for the new year, and by all means, use it with the kavanah, the intention to have children. That's a, an excellent way to, to increase in your own activity, in your own good deeds, tayra Mitzvot, Behidur, it's a custom that every Rosh Hashanah, the Rabbein would add a new hidr, a new additional stringency, or a new additional element in performing the mitzvahs in a more complete way. So these things are all kalim. Anything you knew that Anything you do that's new opens up new channels, including new channels for fertility for children. So with that, let us go to Another question. It's easy for people to talk about change, but it's very hard to find someone who actually did it. If I may ask you a personal question, did you ever change something in your life? And can you share the process with us? It's very beneficial to hear from someone with experience. Otherwise, it sounds like an abstract theory. Okay, that's a good challenge. The answer is yes, I have changed things in my life i'm going to go through everything long list and i hope to change more for the better Um, so let me use an example Uh, (laughs) and a personal on a personal note everybody's blessed with their own particular unique skills unique talents so i have mine like everybody is blessed by hashem with these things a part of these talents also have their challenges one of the challenges is that when you're skilled at certain things, you can become somewhat um, creative, if you're a creative person, artistic type of person, you can have an element of selfishness, where you're focused on your creativity, on your expression. You can also have at times when you're have blessed with an intelligence, that you have a measure of skepticism and the work that was necessary in my life was to harness and to balance you know, a certain free spiritedness Free-spiritedness has a lot of qualities, but it could also have a lot of uh, challenges. And to make a decision to actively commit to things and not just be a free-floating spirit, to be more grounded and so on is, uh, was, is not an easy thing. And it's, con- it's actually an ongoing effort and with all its unique challenges. Now, how do you do that? It's when you make a decision. The com- decisions have to be made in life. You can't always prove something, you can't always establish this is the way it is, because still, like you say, it's hard to act- activate that change, especially when your nature is a different type of nature. So when you make a commitment, it's like I'm gonna join the army. Now you're joined. Once you're in, you just don't, and if you're, if you're a person of integrity, you don't just give up. So my life, a lot of what I've done, there's been some changes, and including changes like uh, deadlines, or things you need to achieve, as I said, overcoming certain challenges you have in your own personality comes to a commitment. And you stick to that commitment, that's where change happens. Commitment, real commitment, unwavering commitment. And especially if you love what you're doing and you're connected to it, and you really, it's a labor of love, obviously makes it easier. So it's not like pulling teeth and you have to go against the grain of every part of yourself. But change always is difficult because it's the comfort zone. Everybody has their comfort zone. And comfort zones are comfortable for a reason. But you never grow from that. So I would say to any person who's looking to change, and all of us should be looking, commit to something. Especially with another person. Commit to learning with someone. Commit to a class. Commit to a certain volunteer volunteer program. The commitment, even in the day when you're not in the mood, will compel you. you know, you're bound to it. Just like you have a job. You may not always be in the mood to go to your work. You know? But you're committed to it. Especially if the commitment, again, is something you enjoy, something that's powerful and positive, especially when you see fruits of your labor. So that's one thing. Another thing I could say in my own case, you know, um, when you're a dreamer and you're idealistic, it's beautiful. You have like a vision for things, but sometimes execution, bringing it into action, is sometimes difficult because it's more concept and theory, exactly as you write. So one of the things I've had to work on is to make sure that I try my best to not remain just in a vision place, theoretical or conceptual, as beautiful as it is. And you imagine, you know, in any second it can be implemented. But implementation has its own art and its own excellence. So this includes not always you can do it yourself. So you bring other people, you hire people, you work with others. So remember, there are things that we ourselves may not be Excellent, that, but that doesn't stop you from being, if you're committed to success, bring other people on board. So that's yet another thing, just as examples. Um, another element would be, you know, there's a certain element of when you have certain, uh, I guess, insight, you also could be critical and judgmental. I would say when I was younger, I was a little more abrasive, maybe a lot more abrasive. Critical, not always expressed it, but internally and to work on that is also a change to make sure that you tame that or you focus and harness it toward positive things. And it's still at times, sometimes there's an inclination, you see something right away, you know, you see the weak point. And to be able to, to, be able to direct that toward the positive, toward a productive critique or to productive ends is a challenge. But all these things come back down to being introspective, having integrity and sincerity And above all, commitment. A commitment to a cause that's greater than yourself. That's what carries you. So instead of you being carried by your moods and your vicissitudes and ups and downs, it's being carried by the commitment in your life. Never underestimate that. That is a tremendous element. In many ways, you can say Rosh Hashanah is all about commitment. What does it mean to crown God as king? We're committing to you. We're saying a new year is coming. the The past year is ending. And we're recommitting. We're renewing our contract with you. And we want you to renew your contract with us. That's really what it comes down to in simple English. It's a total commitment. That's why king and subject. When you commit to a king, it's not halfway, it's not three quarters of the way, it's not conditional, it's complete. But not king in the negative sense where the king passes decrees and we're slaves to the king. No, it's with love. It's the idea of connecting to a a greater reality than ourselves. That commitment is the essence of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the whole period of this holiday period. So that connects it all as well. And that's why committing to something new in the spirit of this contract, in the spirit of this relationship, is beautiful. Saying, I'm committed to you and I'm gonna demonstrate, I'm gonna do a few new things I've never done before. It could be in quantity and quality. That's how we prepare for the new year. Okay, since we talked about uh, Zdokhe, let me take this to um, a few questions about zdoka that can be connected. You know, we say tefillah, is, is is that, that uh, these three things, they, they tear up and they abolish every gzair, every decrease. So Zdokhe is a very powerful component in the tefillahs of the Yom Neroim. We are taught that the one mitzvah we can do and see the rewards in the physical world is giving tzedakah. God even says, test me, bachanuni na test me out and you will see. But my question is how does this work and is there a timeline for when we see the reward? Can someone give tzedakah and right away the same day see the reward? Or can it take many years until you see the reward. Does the reward manifest in a revealed, in a revealed blessing or in a hidden blessing that we, may not never, that we might never see? God says, if you tithe and give Zdaka the reward, you will, you will become wealthy, and God says, test me on this. So can I give Duck and then go buy some stocks or Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and later that day, God will take, make the stock, go, the stock value go up, and I will become wealthy? Can I bring Zdokka box with me to a casino and put money in every time before I roll the dice and God will reward me with big winnings? Can I make a donation to Zdokka with my credit card from my phone right before the big race at the horse racing track and God will reward me by making making my horse I bet on win? What are some ways we can test God on this and see immediate results with our physical eyes and our reality? So another follow-up question. Maybe from the same person, but in the same spirit. When Hashem says, test me by giving zedaka, and you will become wealthy, and sometimes we don't see the blessings of wealth after giving zedaka, the rabbis always brush it off and say, we don't understand God's ways, or maybe God did send a blessing, but you didn't see it, or many other canned answers. But I have a problem with this. If Hashem is saying, test me, and we give zedaka with physical money in our reality, in this physical world, then the blessings of wealth must also be in a revealed manner in this physical world with actual currency that is legal tender in order for Hashem to pass the test. No hidden blessings, no misamech, bechelke, kap-outs, etc. Someone wants to, to go to a restaurant and there was a sign saying, if you pay $3 and sit at a table, a waiter will bring you a slice of pizza to eat. If you paid the money but nobody brought you the food you paid for and then you complained and the manager said, we gave you the food but in a hidden manner, or be means be happy with your lot. You would laugh at them and demand a refund. When you pay for food, you want to receive actual food that you can eat and be nourished with. Why doesn't Hashem get? A, why does Hashem get a free pass when he says test me? But when would, and but when it doesn't and when it doesn't work, we don't hold him accountable and say you failed the test. If we can trust Hashem when he promises wealth to those who give zaka, how can we? If we can't trust Hashem when he promises wealth to those who give zaka. How can we trust Hashem when He promises that Mashiach will come? Will the community make excuses for Hashem and say Mashiach came, but in a hidden manner that you can't see? Or why do you complain Mashiach isn't here? You should be mesamech b'chelke. The Rebbe would not have accepted that. He wanted Mashiach in a revealed manner, and he shouldn't ex- And we shouldn't accept it either. When God makes a promise, He must keep it. No excuses, no kapas. Okay. So, let's address this topic in general. So first of all, let's talk, I'll give an example in relationships. Since we're talking about commitment and relationships, our relationship with God, let's use a, the most basic example: of relationship with your spouse, which is meant to be an unconditional relationship. You mentioned going to a store and ordering food, pizza, whatever. In your sp- when you're your spouse, it's not like you say, okay, I'll do this for you and you'll make me breakfast. It's unconditional, it's a relationship. And each party has to bring what they have to bring to it. What's missing in this whole conversation here is this type of demand that I must get what I want. Yes, God said, test me. But that's a sign of love. That's a gesture of love. Test me with this because I truly love you and I will answer you. But from your end, you also have to have that unconditional commitment. Hashem gave you life. He didn't make conditions. Here's your life. He blessed you with a healthy life. So you are, your commitment has to be that I will do whatever I can that you've asked me to do. In the process, there is also a system where Hashem says, when you give zedokah, I will bless you. You do other things, I'll bless you. But to come with this type of sense of entitlement and demand, the tone is not one of a relationship. It sounds very narcissistic, very selfish. So let's begin with that. Zdakeh is meant to be coming from the warmth and the comfort of our, from the love of our heart. Where we really care. And we're giving zdakeh. To those someone in need. Whether it's zdakeh money, other ways of helping others. It happens to be that zdakeh has the blessing that God said that you can do it even shalei l'shma, Even for alter, ulterior motives. Even to save your child's life. Even for fertility, whatever it may be. But that's, first of all, a gift that God set. But from your end, you should be wanting to do it because that's, what you, that's what's ri- the right thing to do. You have an ulterior motive. So be it. But that's not where it should begin. And even when you have the ulterior motive, your goal is to achieve, do something good. Then you could say, okay, I had an ulterior motive and I don't see the blessing being fulfilled. We'll address that in a moment. But I first wanted to just make a statement when I'm reading all of this especially when we're coming to the new year how many tzedakas have we received in our lives from Hashem and from others in our lives and we just take it for granted have we repaid our parents friends others that have helped shape our lives and blessed and given us so sustained us helped us supported us Al Tareb a famous story when the chassid came and gave a whole list of things that he wants and needs and the Al Tareb then said to him you're telling me everything you need and what do you needed for so the first thing I would say as we stand before Rosh Hashanah, the first step is to ask, what do you need it for? At the same time, we're told clearly, Agos, my brings look brings Lukut Teter in many places, that we ask for Gashmis. We're not just serving, we're not just here committing to Hashem, we're also asking for our needs. But why are we asking for our needs? Whether you know it or not, famous Teter of the Baal Shem is you because your Neshama needs Sometimes it manifests in ulterior motives where you see the need for a child, for parnosa, for other things. But that's the context. So now let's talk about tzedakah for ulterior motives or tzedakah as the B'chanuni number says and God says, test me. I'm not giving you excuses for God. God does not need me secure enough and can take care of himself. doesn't need our excuses. We don't know God's mysterious ways. That's all I would say to you. We absolutely believe that God will fulfill his promise. And very often we see it. And if you go with that unconditional element, how many times the Rebbe said, make achlot and give zdoke. Nabistu will open up new channels. And we start saying, but, but I'll only do it on condition if he opens up new channels. The Rebbe says, no, he's your partner. Bring him in into business and your partner will make sure that it will succeed. Yes, there's an element of a certain leap that you need to take. But even if you do it with all the ulterior motives, we're still told, God says, I promise you. But then there's God's mysterious ways, which I'm not going to explain. I'm not going to say it's hidden, it'll happen afterwards, or like you said, <laughs> they, they're, they're probably all true. But I don't know. But it's an attitude to life. Life is a gift. Life is a blessing. You're put here for a purpose. Are you thinking like that? Are you really bring God into your life? Or only when, when you need something, you say, hey, you know, here, instead of me going and pressing and going gambling, which I'll talk about in a moment, I'll pray to God. And it's like pressing a button and the money will come running down. It's a relationship with God. Why are you turning to God? It's like once somebody came to the Frida Rebbe and asked him for advice in business. And then he asked for a brach. And the Fridic Rebbe gave him a brach and told him he should add in Tere and aveda. And the guy was like somewhat resistant. So physical Kaleb said to him, You ask me advice in business, area, that's not my expertise. But when it comes to the, my area of expertise, Aveda Sashem, there you're suddenly that interested in what I have to say. I don't know the exact words the Fidi used. Same idea. Why are you turning to God? Because you think someone, because God, you read somewhere that God says you pray and, and give his duck and suddenly I'll give you treasures? Even if that's your motive, God also says, Fine, I accept that too. But think about it from your end, from a mature point of view. Then finally, Yes, we ask, we give zdokim, that's another way that we make a keli. But you have to also do a keli that the Ebishter wants. To go gambling, horse racing. You gave other examples, are not necessarily halachically acceptable. Even if they may be, you find a loophole, they're not necessarily lefinimashur sadin, definitely not midis chassidiz. So I would not use these ways to try to gain that wealth. Is it possible? The Rebbe tells people about buying a lottery ticket. One ticket. That's the keli you make. You start buying too many tickets, then you're not really trusting Hashem's blessing. Because if He wants you to win, one ticket is enough. So going gambling and the other things you mentioned is not the way to make a keli for the b'chus Hashem. Hitashir. Ways to give zdoket to a moiseh, to an individual, to a person in need people who need zdoket, that's the way to do it if you want to make the proper keli. So this is some of the thoughts as we go into Rosh Hashanah about zdoket. Let's address one or two more other topics. Since we're coming from Chayel, let me just do a follow-up on Chayel. And another follow-up. See here, Yeah. Achayel out it was mentioned that the Baal Shemtev's teacher was Achiah Shileni. Was this was this the same Achiah Shileni mentioned in Tanakh? If so, are we supposed to believe Achiah lived over 3,000 years until the time of the Baal Shem Or was it the ghost of Achiah that came from Eden to teach the Baal Shemtev? I wouldn't use the word ghost. Uh, I would use more if you want a, a Gilgal or, uh, or a Ruach or, um, or a chelik of his Neshama. If a tzadik that passed away a long time ago is able to come back to teach someone tzadik, what can we do to get Achish Lenin to come to our house and teach us tzadik? I wouldn't mind walking through the forest and having the frizik al meet me under a pine tree and teaching me an amazing Maimir. Or how can I get the morale of Prague to meet my son after yeshiva and tutor him in Gemara so he can pass his exams? I appreciate the, the light tone that many of these questions come. I hope it's not just because it's anonymous, but so be it. So let's just uh, deal with this Achia Shalani. So there's a Sikha Yudalat Tamaz Shin, where the Friedrich Rebbe actually says that in the year Tafpe Dalit, Chayel, when the Rebbe, when the Baal birthday, when he turned uh, 26 years old, so it became revealed. There's Galigavar and Sayem Nishma Sachia Shalani. The Baal called Achia Shalani the Baal Chay, Chay Yechida. And he learned with him for 10 years, 10 years later, when he turned 36, he was told by the balachai, which is the achia Shalini, and uh, the Frida Rebbe writes that his uncle, well, this probably means the mitler Rebbe, yeah, the mitler Rebbe, said, explained, because it's coming from the Tzema that woman's uh, that Baal Chai, a Baal of the Ephen is Galas Asmi from the Makifim Chai yechide. That's why he's called Baal Chai, because he was a so called a master of the revelations from Chai yechide. So that we have in the Sikh of the fidikareb. Rebbe. The Rebbe has a footnote, which I would refer you to. It's printed in the kute volume 2, page 512. It's a long footnote where he talks about Achia Shuleni. And he says that till now I've not found. That direct connection between the Balshamtav and Achihyah Shaleni. But the Rebbe does say that we find the connection of Acheyh Shaleni also taught and learned with um, well actually Mistarov. Together he joined forces together with Aqiah Shaleni. And the Rebbe explains, because Akiya Shaleni, Rajbi, was a gilgal, a reincarnation of Akiya Shaleni. And since Rajbi was Inyan, was Primus HaTere, to bring Mashiach in Gula, and Gulen, that's the Baal Indian. Inyan, maybe that's the connection. He also brings from the Teldus of Yesev and Parshabalok, that Achish Lein received from Moshe Rabbeinu, and he, was, and he left Mitzrayim. He was then afterwards from the Bezdin of David HaMelech, and he was the teacher of Eliyahu Novi, and that too, and the teacher of my teacher, which is the Baal And Eliyahu Novi is connected to Mashiach, so there you have the connection again. Now, you see from this, Achish Eleni seems to be a figure that reappears in history. He left Egypt. He was by Moshe Rabbeinu. He was um, a time of Besdin of the Melech. Rashbi is a gilgal of him. So when we speak about Achilles it means clearly the neshama of Achilles, Not that he lived physically all those years. Just like we have the neshama of Eliyon, that comes to Abris, to comes to the Seder, Pesach. The Rebbe continues to explain the connection. Why Dafka Achir Shalini? Because maybe Achir Shalini was the one that prophesied on the separation of the kingdoms, the Malchus Yehuda and Malchus Yisrael. And therefore, Geulah comes to correct that through Primis At-Tere, and that's the connection to the Baal Shem. check out this footnote. Okay. Another follow-up. Blessings to you, Rabbi Jacobson. On your last broadcast of Hasidah Supply, you read a letter from a viewer who witnessed a verbal assault against you i want to apologize because even though i never verbally assaulted you i had some negative thoughts which came as a result of feeling you were not focused on a phone call we had and then i had not received a follow-up from your office as you had told me you would occur in hindsight i realized that you gave you give so much of yourself and have aided me in more ways than i'm even aware i'm sorry if my thoughts may have manifested into a verbal attack attacking you by a troubled individual I'm grateful for all your work, teachings, guidance. I wish you many revealed blessings. Okay, thank you very much. So let us conclude now something since the, we talked about the Queen of England. Hello from London. We have a question. Are we allowed to attend the Queen's funeral in order to show Derek Heretz and be respectful to this country that allows us to live freely and practice our religion? The problem might be if we are standing in the street at her funeral procession as, as her funeral procession passes, there may be a, there may be a symbol of Aveda Zara, such as crosses or pictures of Yashke or, or Psula Mary being displayed, and perhaps someone might mistakenly think because we are there, we agree with those idolatrous symbols. We obviously don't agree with aveda Zara symbols, but we want, just want to make a Kiddush Hashem by showing our fellow countrymen that we love and respect our country and our monarchs. The queen was a virtuous and honorable woman, Anishas Chai, so to speak, some of us feel is the proper thing to do to show our respect to her. Well, my reaction, immediate reaction, is I don't see an issue with it at all. Um, you know, there are many public displays of things that are either considered a desire or similar shituf that we encounter. This doesn't mean we are addressing that or worshiping it or acknowledging it, honoring her. But it would always be good to check with your local Rav in case because at the end of the day this is halachic and I don't believe this is a platform for halachic decisions. But in the spirit of it, now some people may have a difference of opinion about the queen and whether it's even worth, in the, you know, is it just a pomp and circumstance thing, a superficial thing. But as I discussed last year, last week rather, there is an element of malchus in this world, even whether she had authority or not. But if it increases and adds in a certain respect for God, Because ultimately, So there is something in that. That's why we make a a a blessing on a king. But the technicality, I think it's already, I'm not sure if the funeral happened or not, but regardless, I would ask to check with a But in the spirit of it, to show respect, I don't see any issue with that at all. Um, And on the contrary, it could be a Kiddush Hashem. So with that, I will, I will um, conclude this week's episode and uh, wish everybody, being that this is the last episode of this year, Tafshin Pei Beis, been a great honor, great schuss and merit for me to continue doing this program with your support. Number one, the support simply of their listening, posing and submitting questions of all sorts, and as well as monetary support. Because at the end of the day, this is a free program. A lot of work and research goes into it. So I definitely encourage you, especially in the name in merit of the new year, to help us. Go to chesidahsupplied.com slash donate. And please help us with a generous donation to cover the new year. So your support and partnership is vital. So I want to give you all a blessing. That should be a ksiva v'chisimeteva, teva mesukah both Begashmis and Baruch and and Begashmis, healthy children, and abundant Parnosa, and all in good health, and abundance. And may we finally merit to the Gula Amitis Vashlema, which will bring all the Baruchas with it, at Tehishna's Gudelis, may your prayers go straight to Hashem, may you respond directly in a revealed way, Everyone should have a good to yar, And I will see you not next Sunday because it's Rosh Hashanah, but the following one between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. A very, very blessed year in every possible way. This has been My Life, Chassidus Applied. Kol Tuv, Shana Musuka. Good Giben This program is brought to you by My Life, Chasidis Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidahsupply.com slash donate.